Glad that you're here for our Sunday night study. Uh, what we do on Sunday night study is really just take something from Sunday morning and kind of run a little farther with it than I uh, in my study uh, as I go through my process of preparation and deliberation and outline and all of that. I take one piece and I think, I, I want to take that a little bit farther than I really probably have time for Sunday morning. Um, and so I'm just going to take that and just make it into uh, an extended study. So that's what Sunday night study is. Tonight I want to ask you, have you ever been in a position where you did not know what God was doing? A follow-up, have you ever been in a position where God did do something and it sort of troubled you at how he did it, at what he did, because it was so wildly divergent from what you had planned? Well, uh, if you've ever been in that position, and uh, if you are a Christian for any length of time, eventually you will, if you haven't been, um, you're in good company. Uh, all people of faith have been in this position. Tonight we're going to look at Mary, and uh, we talked a little bit about <clears throat> this morning from Matthew's account. Tonight we're going to look at Luke's account of how Mary received this message and how it troubled her so, and what her response was when God did something so vastly different from what she expected. Turn to Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be <clears throat> for tonight's study. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. <clears throat> as we ask, when God does something you don't understand, when God works in ways you don't fully comprehend, or when God calls you to do something that frightens you a little bit because it's not what you expected. We're in the book of Luke, as I said, chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, the first few verses, starting in verse 26. So Luke 1, 26, if you're following along in your own Bible or scrolling along, join me there in Luke 1, 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God <clears throat> to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Uh, <clears throat> so we, we see a different side, uh, as we talked about before. Uh, an, uh, Mary gets the angel, angelic message direct from Gabriel. Of course, Joseph got it in a dream. But they both receive the message that what's happened here, or this what's happening in here, is of God. <clears throat> when the angel greets her, he says a couple of things. He says she was highly favored. She, he says the Lord was with her and that she was blessed. Now, Mary certainly is blessed in the story of redemption, no doubt. But she's not unique. We need to consider that. That, <clears throat> that, that Mary gets special treatment by some because of her role in these things. But if we think about it, all of the adjectives that were given toward Mary are also true of the believer in Jesus Christ. Um, 
Mary's called highly favored. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says, to the, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Uh, the angel says, the Lord is with you. Well, Jesus promised to be with us in Matthew 28, verse 20. Uh, he promised to be with his disciples and those who followed him and obeyed him and listened to him and yielded to him that he would be with them even to the very end of the age. And that promise wasn't just for Mary, that's for us too. You hear people pray sometimes, Lord be with us. Well, that, that's sort of redundant because he's already promised to be with you. The question is not, will he be with you? The question is, really, will you be with him? And then she's called blessed. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Mary receives these three adjectives that describe her, and they also at the same time describe those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we admire Mary for her faith. She certainly had that, and we, we will see that as we proceed. But the scripture says that when she first met Gabriel, she was greatly troubled. Now, what caused her to be troubled? Well, it could be a couple of things. One, it could be her humility. You know, she, perhaps she's saying, who, who am I? I, I? I'm a lowly, poor, young, virgin girl, not even married yet. Who, who in the world pays attention to someone like me? What makes me so special? Why am I giving this uh, celestial message? But it could be that she was troubled because <laughs> she's met by an angel, which is kind of what I think. Uh, you, you meet um, almost any time there's an interaction between a human being and an angel. If the Bible describes the emotion of the people that are receiving the message or the interacting with the angels, almost universally, uh, the reaction is fear, trembling. Angels are powerful beings and they are uh, uh, at a kind of, they're not at the level of God, but they're below God's level. And human beings are created a little lower than the angels. When Jesus became incarnate, he was a little lower than the angels. So angels are a higher being than we are, capable of different things than we are. And, and so it's normal to, in, uh, certainly if you're not expecting it, to be filled with fear as Mary was. But in addition to that, Every hero of faith will have a moment when God does things in your life that are troubling. I'll give you a couple of examples. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, if you're following along. Um, Hebrews 11, of course, is describing the heroes of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 7 is describing a specific man by the name of Noah. In verse 7 it says, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. NIV says, by faith Noah, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. 
we understand what Noah did in obedience to God. Hebrews 11, the writer describes what Noah did as an act of holy fear. Not just in believing what God said was true, but in fearing that what he said would come true and and the only response in his mind was logically to get about the work of building an ark, which took over a hundred years, give or take, to complete. And with every board that he hammered, with every joint that was put together, with every shelf and cage that was built, uh, with every amount of, of pitch, uh, and with every uh, amount of gopher wood that was drawn forth, all of that was driven in Noah's mind by one motive, holy fear. To save himself, to save his family. That's an admirable thing. We're here because of Noah's holy fear. Second, <clears throat> Abraham was called to leave his home and his family to go to an unknown destination. We know that story. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, you can imagine. Have you ever traveled somewhere with your family or any group of people? I mean, the first thing I do, I'm going somewhere tonight, in fact, and I've never been there before, so I'm going to pull it up in my calendar, hit the, hit the address, open up my GPS, and go. Uh, even before GPSs, you always, you always kind of knew where you were headed, or at least the direction. When Abraham was called, he went, and he didn't have any idea where he was going. God didn't reveal that to him at that time. But he looked forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. So, with Noah, with Abraham, and I think with Mary, when you're following God, sometimes he will ask things of you which are troubling to you. Troubling, perhaps, <clears throat> because of holy fear. Troubling, perhaps, because God doesn't show you the end result. Troubling, perhaps, because you don't know how it's all going to work out. But God will do things that trouble you, if only to show you and to remind you that he's God. We continue in Luke chapter 1, if you're still reading with us. We're now at verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Sometimes God not only does things that trouble you, God does things that you don't understand. The angel tells her that she's highly favored. And we said that that these adjectives apply to us as well. But before you get too far ahead, remember that just because you're highly favored doesn't mean 
that God will bless you with a full explanation. In fact, most of the time, he doesn't. Job was highly favored, whether you believe that or not. In a conversation between God and Satan, Job's name came up. Job was highly favored, but as far as I read the book of Job, Job never gets a full explanation of what happened. In the story of Mary, we know the end of the story. Mary didn't. (laughs) We have an explanation. But Mary was the one who had to do the explaining. We know that God uses angels. Uh, But Mary actually had to meet with and talk to the angel Gabriel. In Luke 1, verse 19, we're told that Gabriel stands in the presence of God. This was Mary that was interacting with one who stands in the presence of God. The angel tells her (laughs) in this amazing sort of way that we sort of just take for granted. Oh, yeah, here's the story again. But but think about it. He tells her, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to have a child. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be great. He's going to be the son of the Most High God. He's going to be the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, covenant and the king of the eternal kingdom of which there is no end. <laughs> but she is an unmarried virgin. And as he's going on uh, pronouncing all of these things that are true, her mind... Stops at, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, did she say I'm pregnant? Because I didn't, we should probably hold it. I mean, we probably should talk about that first. How, how will this be, she says, since, since I'm a virgin? <laughs> you can see the sweat kind of rolling down her forehead. What do you mean? How will this be? Now, in my mind, I think, I believe, that she knew that that the angel was quoting Isaiah. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. But in my mind, I don't, maybe she did, but I don't think that Mary had ever in, in, could possibly have conceived, that is a plan words there, intentionally done, could ever have conceived that God was talking about her womb. She is a virgin, pure and chaste. She had never, ever to this point, had relations with anyone. And now, we have broken the curve. Because now celibacy is only 99.99999% effective in preventing pregnancy. That is a, that's a joke. But it's true. We can't say it's 100% because Mary was celibate and still pregnant. How will this be? Exactly right. That's the question you would be asking if it was you. So you can't blame her questions. It's the sort of thing you would want answers to. Even the answer that that Gabriel gives isn't super helpful. (laughs) Mom, Dad, it's fine. I'm pregnant, but it's not Joseph's. It's fine. 
It's the Holy Spirit's. Okay, play that out in your head. God has been silent for 400 years. And all of a sudden, your daughter is claiming to be pregnant in a divine way. Verse 35. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, <laughs> it's, it's really cool what Gabriel does here. Because he answers the question and at the same time he reminds her of something that she previously probably thought was impossible too. He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child's going to be born, the Holy One of God. Okay. <laughs> i got to be thinking, Mary is looking at this angel going, uh-huh, okay, but uh, how am I supposed to explain that to my parents and Joseph and everyone? And he says, don't forget about your cousin Elizabeth. To which I'm confident Mary would have gotten word of. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't announce things that way. But she no doubt probably had had the news and had heard her cousin, who in the quiet whispers was told to be barren and unable to have children, was now going to have a child. And for some reason, dad (laughs) couldn't say anything about it. If you remember that story. So he brings up this account with her own family to say, be careful about what you say is impossible. For nothing will be impossible with God, which is a great verse to crochet on a pillow, but a really powerful verse in the story of God. And he's not just saying that about Jesus And her role in being his mother. He's talking about her cousin who's going to give birth to John the Baptist. This woman who's, they they couldn't, you can't have children. And all of a sudden she's having a child and they're going to name him John. And the angel reminds her, nothing will be impossible with God. You've probably heard or seen the motivational, if you haven't, I'll give it to you. Uh, The word impossible, you just got to rethink of it as I'm possible. Kind of creative, huh? But I got one even better. You need to think of impossible and rephrase it and think, I am possible. With God, the great I am, all things are possible. That's what the angel's reminding her of. That's what he's reminding us of and reminding Mary of. That just because God doesn't do things that that you understand doesn't mean... He's not doing things. So, sometimes we simply need to be reminded that God is God. And that God does the I am possible things. If you, if you want to write these scriptures down, or if, you, or if you're even more 
Sunday night study is. You can follow along. Turn to Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. These are some scriptures that you need to remember when you face your impossible moments in life. Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Now again, God hadn't done anything, said anything. There hadn't been a word heard from God in four centuries. But the nature of God had not changed. He was still majestic, he was still awesome, he was still the God who does wonders. And in the 2,000 years since, God's nature hasn't changed. He is still majestic, he is still awesome, and he still does wonders. Turn to the prophet Isaiah. We've been reading a lot from Isaiah because he spoke a lot about the coming Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He'll go on to say, see if I, yes, verse uh, 10, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. He's, you know, you obviously realize there's a little bit of commotion and extra energy here in the building tonight. Uh, If you go through those doors, you're going to see all sorts of it. Those kids are wired, Okay. And I think all the kids get a free Mountain Dew tonight after the play. I could be wrong. Okay, but even those kids with all of their little kid energy in a matter of six hours, give or take, are going to be wiped out and exhausted and tired and sleeping. Or that's the hope of their parents. Isaiah says... (laughs) Even the young get faint and are weary. Even young men fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. They run and not be weary. They walk and not faint. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Go over New Testament. Close my Bible app there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. He says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We're in, a, we're in eternal kingdom mode in the church. You think of it as an hour on Sunday, but when you're a part of the church, you're a part of something that's eternal in nature, part of a kingdom upon which the Lord Jesus reigns as king today. 
A promise that this will be in an eternal, unending kingdom. Think of the, the greatest kingdoms that have ever existed in the world. Whether you're talking about Greece or Rome, whatever kingdom you can imagine, the kingdom of Egypt, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, those kingdoms eventually were moved to the dustbin of history. But the kingdom of which we are a part is the one where Jesus sits on the throne, his kingdom, the church. And we're a part of something that's eternal And because we're in that kingdom, and because we're receiving that kingdom that cannot be shaken, we're called to worship God so acceptably. And sometimes you and I sit there and go, Oh, this song again. I really wish I'd sing my song. Are you kidding me? We're receiving an eternal kingdom. So let us worship God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. A point to the description of God again and again. The last one, Revelation 1 verse 8. Jesus reveals himself. Uh, Verse 8 of chapter 1. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is... And who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we get all of these adjectives of God, majestic and holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, unexhaustible, the one who is unsearchable, the one who's abundant in power, whose understanding is beyond measure. A call to worship him with reverence and awe because he's a consuming fire. The one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty God. Now, we cannot always wrap our minds around him. And the good news is we don't have to. We don't have to fully understand him, fully comprehend him, or be able to fully explain him, or even need to be able to fully defend him. We simply need to trust him and yield obedience to him. Now, the other things aren't bad. The more I study his word, the more I understand him. Uh, The more I think about his ways, the more I begin to kind of try to comprehend more and more of him. And, And there's nothing wrong with presenting a ready defense of your faith and the reason for the hope that you have. What I'm saying is you don't have to have all of that as a requisite to following him. You follow him, you trust him, you obey him, and, and the, the understanding and the, the, the comprehension and the explanations and the defense, those things come, but they're not necessary to start. They're the result of the fruit of our trust in him. Let's finish out with verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, sometimes God does things that greatly trouble you. Uh, Sometimes God does things that you do not understand. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the God that we serve. 
But in these times when we're troubled, in these times where God does things that you do not understand, the best thing to do is to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time and yield fully to him. If you'll remember, just a few verses earlier from our text tonight, in Luke chapter 1, verse 18, Gabriel delivers a similar message to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. And, and he questioned this message in the same way that Mary did. Uh, it was not, you know, of course, he wasn't saying, how will this be since I'm a virgin? <laughs> it wasn't his questioning. He just, he didn't understand. He, his questioning implied a level of doubt, perhaps some skepticism, perhaps some disbelief or some unbelief. And so because of that, he was struck mute until John was born. And some people say, why did, why did Zacharias get punished and Mary not get punished? She, she didn't know. She said, how will this be? But I think the answer lies in the tone of the text, which is something that's very hard to interpret. I, I, in my, my mind, anyway, Zacharias kind of said, eh, how? No, I mean, this, this can't be. He starts with disbelief. Mary says, well, how will this be? In other words, okay, God, if you say it's going to be, but how? How are you going to make that happen? I believe that you can do it, but I'm kind of, sort of, sort of curious as to how. <clears throat> I don't think Mary understood any more than Zacharias did, but her response in her heart was different. And we see that in the last verse. She doesn't say, aha, now I get it. Oh, now I see how it's going to work. Aha, uh -huh, now I know how I'll explain it. That's not what she says. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Mary understands and probably was trained by her own parents in this way. A beautiful and humble attitude. An attitude that says, Lord, I'm the clay. You're the potter. Mold me as you wish. You see, in, in defiance of today's view, it wasn't Mary's body. It wasn't Mary's choice. It's God's body and his choice. And Mary says, Lord, I don't, I don't know how you're going to do it. <laughs> but if you're going to use this body and this womb, if you promise it, Lord, I know you'll do it. I'm confident you will. And so maybe, maybe that's where I want to leave us tonight is that we might have the attitude of Mary 
when God does things that trouble you, when God does things you don't fully understand, may you be reminded that God is God and you don't have to understand. You just have to humble yourself and yield. And doing that is very freeing and a good example for all of us. The Apostle Peter writes these words in First Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Mary personified that verse. And calls us to live it out as well. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so grateful to have your word which teaches us your will. We thank you for the examples of men and women who were flawed just like us, sinful just like us, in need of your grace just like us. We're grateful that we read the accounts of their interactions with you or with your servants and we see they're struggling with it. We see there are times when they were greatly troubled and that there were times when they didn't understand. We thank you for the honesty of your word, which tells us about the true struggle that faith can sometimes be, and how good that you are, and how graceful you are with our struggles. Lord, may we be like Mary, and humbly yield our will to yours saying that we are just your servant. Father, we are your servants. In Christ Jesus, we yield our will to yours, and we trust that in due time, you will exalt us, not because we're <laughs> worthy of exalting, but because of your goodness and your grace. And Lord, until that time, when full understanding is reached, when full perspective is gained, we pray that you might draw near to us, that we might draw near to you, and we might remember that you are good and that you love us. And Lord, we love you, and we know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, you love us because of your Son, Christ Jesus. It's in his name we humbly offer this prayer. Amen.